0: early 2024, and you'll definitely want to be there. You are listening to episode 48 of the Create What You Crave podcast, the one where I answer your questions on imposter syndrome. Are you ready? This is going to be so good. Let's go. Welcome to the Create What You Crave podcast, a place for creating the self-confidence you need to be your best self as a leader at work and in life. If you want to bring more authenticity, more boldness, more clarity, and more fun to your world, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Barbara Churchill. Here we go. Hello, my friends. How are you? Happy Wednesday once again. It is so good to be with you every week. Do you realize it's been almost a year that we've been meeting? Talk about time flying by. Holy Hannah. <laughs> This episode, I'm kind of excited about because I get emails and I get social media DMs about questions, right? You guys have a lot of questions about imposter syndrome, about derailers, you know, life, work, all the things. So, this episode is a little bit different this week. Um, I am answering your questions, and a lot of them are very similar. So, I chose kind of the most popular ones. And I thought it would be a good idea to address these here with you. So here we go. We're going to dive deeper into them, grab a pen and something to write with, okay? Because you're really going to want to take some notes. Here is the first question. What is imposter syndrome? (laughs) Now, you can Google this and you'll get a gajillion answers, right? This one got asked so much. And I'm really glad because here's the gig. It's been watered down over the last few years and has really become a buzzword for self-doubt. And that is not what imposter syndrome is. So let me give you a little bit of a history, okay? It was first called imposter phenomenon by the PhD doctors who did the research among high-achieving women, and they wrote this paper on it. And that was back in 1978. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, they're both PhDs. So this is not a psychological disorder, and there is no diagnosis for it. They called it a phenomenon, okay? Syndrome replaced phenomenon in the early 80s. And a syndrome you know, it kind of sounds like a mental illness, but it's not. A syndrome is defined as a set of concurrent things like emotions or actions that usually form an identifiable pattern. So imposter syndrome is part of a larger pattern. It is a belief that we are not as intelligent, capable, qualified, or talented as other people think that we are despite clear evidence of our abilities and past accomplishments. I mean, we can see that we have these degrees or we've had high sales or we've had a promotion, right? And then externalizing our success. So that means we discount our successes. We dismiss dismiss them, right? We explain them in terms of Outside factors like um, luck or timing, you know, kind of being in the right place at the right time. We simplify them. And by that, I mean, you know what? If you ever heard yourself say or somebody else say, if I can do it, how hard can it be? Or hey, if I can do it, anybody can do it. We are simplifying them. We're dismissing them. We're toning them down like, hey, it's not a big deal that we just achieved this, right? Or we credit external connections or help. So if you work in a family business, you know, hey, you got the foot in the door, those kinds of things. Or we kind of diss ourselves because we have a great personality and we say, hey, you know what? They just like me. That's why I got the gig. Or they just like me. That's why I got the promotion. What? We got to stop doing that. (laughs) Anyway, so that's the definition of imposter syndrome, okay? And it's very broadly based in workplace environments too. So Look at this. I did a little research on this and this is fascinating to me. There are common industries where this shows up a lot. Law, medicine, energy, higher ed, tech, commercial real estate, policing, manufacturing, engineering, consulting, financial planning, healthcare, finance, banking. I mean, seriously. And in professions, scientists, programmers, doctors, professors, chemists, researchers, judges, attorneys, executives, entrepreneurs, psychologists, engineers, HR professionals. I'm telling you what, is there any other profession that I haven't mentioned? I mean, no profession here is off limits, right? The fear around imposter syndrome is that we'll be found out, okay? It is a fear that other people will discover that we aren't as good as they thought we were. That's where the fraud part comes in. All right. So that's what imposter syndrome is. Very easy. It is not (laughs) self-doubt. Okay. Next question. Why is perfectionism so bad? I think this is such a great question and it's really not that it's bad, right? Perfectionism isn't what it seems. If you're... Let's say you're baking, okay, and you're trying to make a perfect pie because you want it to look appetizing to whoever you're going to have over. I mean, that's fine. No harm, no foul, right? It's, you know, you're trying to make a very lovely pie. I do this all the time at Thanksgiving and my daughter and I are trying to make it look really nice. That's a single situation, okay? It's when it becomes the way you do everything in life that it can become a problem, all right? And you have to be honest with yourself about this perfection is about not putting your work out into the world until it's perfect so there's a lot of delays and checking in with other for their opinions and massaging it and tweaking it and all the things there's redoing and editing and then you know there's also telling your team that they have to do better and work harder and there's a lot of micromanaging and doing things your way when perfectionism that derailer is has got you Done is good enough, said no perfectionist ever, right? Perfectionists raise the bar to an unreachable level and set themselves up to never measure up. So to be clear, perfection doesn't exist in human beings. It exists in math, science, engineering. These are all good places for perfection, right? We know what leftover pieces. When we're making cars, airplanes, all the things, we want them all to get in there, right? Perfection holds you back. It helps you hide. And it requires a standard that cannot be reached. So it's a no win for everybody. All right, so remember that. Great question. All right, next one. Do I still have imposter syndrome if I don't feel like an imposter? So let's go back to what imposter syndrome is, right? It's a belief that we are not as intelligent, capable, qualified, or talented as other people think we are, despite clear evidence of our abilities and our accomplishments, right? We dismiss all of that. We externalize our success. We discount them. It's luck or timing or, you know, it's because we are connected to somebody. So if none of those exist, then I would say, no, you don't. People confuse imposter syndrome with any self-doubt that they may feel. And self-doubt is very normal. We all have it. But they are not interchangeable. Self-doubt is such a normal part of the human experience, especially if you are attempting to do something you've never done before. I didn't think I could make a chocolate souffle until I made one, but I didn't secretly fear that anyone would find out that I'm not a culinary whiz in the kitchen, right? So. So that is it. If, if you're not feeling, if you don't have that worry, that fear, all the things, I wouldn't worry, you know, I, listen to me. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry about being an imposter. It's self-doubt, which is completely normal. It's just don't let that self-doubt hold you back. All right. Next question. What's the difference between confidence and self-confidence? Oh, I just love this question. So this is how I define them. Okay. You're going to hear lots of different definitions out there. Here's my definition. All right. Confidence comes from being able to do something well. You've done it over and over again. Maybe with some mishaps along the way, but eventually you've gotten to the point where you don't even think about it. Confidence draws on evidence of things you've been able to do or achieve in the past. So do you think that I can do this? Hey, have I done it before? Yeah, I have. Okay, good. I mean, you drink a glass of water pretty confidently, right? You don't worry that it's gonna dribble all over the front of your shirt. (laughs) You know, you drive a car. You make your meals, you text, and you use a computer. You've done all these things in the past. So if I ask you to make dinner for me, you'll feel confident doing it, right? Self-confidence is what you think about you. I define self-confidence as being secure in yourself and your abilities, that no matter what happens in your world, you have your own back. If you believe you can only do things you've accomplished before, how do you expect to create new results in your future? you have to rely on your self-confidence. So you'll notice that when babies learn to walk, here's a great thing to notice next time, or, hey, just hop on TikTok or look at a reel. They've crawled, right? They've crawled, they've scooted, they've pulled themselves up and taken a few steps around the room while they hold on to furniture. That's confidence. They don't have the language for it. Wouldn't that be great if we had thought bubbles above babies' heads? Oh, I think that would be hysterical. Anyway, babies don't have the language for it, but it's confidence because they've already done these things. So when they want to walk and try to take a couple of steps, that requires self-confidence because they're attempting something they haven't done before. And they believe in themselves that they can do it. Have you ever seen a toddler try to walk and plop down? I mean, they don't just break down sobbing, kicking and screaming and bawling and think to themselves, oh my God, I can't do it. I'll never be able to walk. I'm always going to be a crawler. (laughs) No, that's not how it rolls, right? But seriously, I, I, I want you to catch this because it's all about believing that you can and not worrying about if you do it perfectly the first time. If you've never done something before, you can't do it perfectly the first time. You've never done it. So it just, I mean, you've just never done it. Cut yourself a break. All right. So where does self-confidence come from? And where does confidence come from? So it's kind of an, you know, I've already explained that a little bit, but I want to expand on it a little bit. It comes from you, your self, what you think about you. This is key because so many people have such difficulty with their self-doubt they believe everything that their brain tells them and my first piece of advice on that is this don't believe everything you think i tell that to my clients all the time our brains have between 60,000 and 100,000 thoughts pass through our day pass through our mind on a daily basis and the majority of them are negative thoughts and 85% of those are just the repeat of thoughts that we had yesterday last year year ago whatever We're just recycling our old negative thoughts without questioning them. So we need to notice what we're thinking and become an observer of our own thoughts. That's the only way to make these shifts. You cannot change what you don't acknowledge. So a deeper dive into confidence and self-confidence. You got to really notice what you're thinking first. All right, next question. How do you release the grip of self-doubt? And here's what I'm going to tell you. And if you're taking notes, you're going to be sad. (laughs) There's no magic pill that is going to get rid of self-doubt once and for all for you. I am sorry to be the bearer of bad news on that. But here is the good news, my friend. You have the power to reduce the amount of self-doubt you carry any time. Our brains are hardwired to pay attention to negative things more than positive things. That's why it's so hard for some people to see the glass as half full. Our primitive brains, you know, the one in the back of your skull, let our primitive brains let us know we should be scared that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And we make decisions based on that from that place, right? You don't go for the promotion because your primitive brain comes up with all the reasons why it's not safe, quote unquote, safe for you to do so being seen a larger scope of a job you know more responsibilities you know leading a team perhaps things you don't have much experience in it's when we hop up to the prefrontal cortex the part of your brain that's just behind the forehead that we may feel the fear but we move ahead anyway because we trust ourselves and our abilities now left unattended self doubt can wreak havoc and turn into crippling fear And I've experienced this. I know you have too. Fear keeps you stuck. It keeps you playing small. Fear holds you back from creating the career and life you crave. You need to notice what you're thinking. That's the first step. Notice what your brain is dishing up as fuel for your day. Is it negative? Self-defeating? Are you all worried about something? Document all those thoughts and decide if any are high value or even useful. And here's a hint: if it's self-doubt, the answer will be a big fat no to all of them. <laughs> I mean, it's all going to be about negative and a problem, right? Self-doubt is problem-based, never solution focused. Then you choose a new thought that has high value and will help you move forward. But be sure to choose one that is believable to you, nothing that's, you know, too much of a stretch. So you can't go from I don't know enough to I'm an expert, right? This thought might hold you back from speaking at your company's annual conference or uh, you know, taking the lead on a project. You can't choose a new thought like, I know everything about this and I'm an expert because your brain is gonna shoot back with all the evidence to prove that wrong. <laughs> and that's gonna be coming back at you so fast that you won't even recognize it's trying to keep you in a box. So choose a thought like, It's possible. I know enough about this. I like to use this with my clients. It's possible because it really, anything really is possible. And then they get to fill in the blank on what's possible for them. Try it. Okay. You're going to love it. Next one. And this is interesting. How do men and women experience imposter syndrome differently? I'm so glad you asked. Here's a really interesting fact men and women. Experience it equally, but women are 20 times more likely to talk about it than men are. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it's not really shocking if you think about it, but males were five times more likely to turn to drugs or alcohol to deal with it just to push it down so they didn't have to feel it, right? They just want to numb out. Men tend to toughen up and push through the fear despite the huge emotional and mentical, mentical, I think I just made up a word, mentical. <laughs> I wonder what that is. Anyway, there are mental and physical costs you know, that come up for men. Women tend to wait until they tick every box and get input and not take credit for their achievements, right? Imposter syndrome is one of the hidden drivers of the gender pay gap too. Women are holding back. As they move up, they get re-triggered with imposter syndrome, and they may leave a company rather than deal with that. Men, on the other hand, go after a job even though they only have three out of 10 qualifications. Our society grooms men and women for success differently, and that is a fact. Men are groomed to move up, be the breadwinners, be strong, you know, brag on their accomplishments and all that. I mean, just look at sports, right? They're all going nuts because somebody put the ball in the end zone. Women are groomed to be caregivers, nurturers, and have a high-level job. But don't talk about how good you are in any of that. Don't be bragging on yourself. I mean, that's a huge contrast, right? Both are afraid to fail, but the majority of women, and I think KPMG did a study, and I think their number was 81% of women believe that they put more pressure on themselves not to fail than men do. That more men are admitting to to imposter syndrome reflects a really growing awareness that the costs of imposter syndrome extend beyond them. You know, I mean, I think that's great. The cost, they understand. It's not just with them, it's with their teams, with their organizations, you know, because organizations pay a price when bright people play small when they procrastinate, when they become workaholics or perfectionists, you know, or any other behaviors that imposters use to cope with the anxiety of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that means leaders of both genders need to understand how to manage, mentor, and support their employees and peers who struggle with imposter feelings. All right, next. When did working hard become a bad thing? And I'm not sure it has, but I think the definition of working hard has changed for employees. Possibly not for leaders, however, right? Because they have different visions. They have different motivations. But since the 1980s, the expectation of the length of the work week has changed dramatically, right? It used to be that when you went to work for eight hours, you need to come home. I mean, it was eight hours in and then you came home. We didn't have computers at home in the early days of the 60s and 70s, but that all changed in the 80s when home computers became more commonplace. So you know me, I like Google, I look things up. (laughs) Here's a fun fact. Home PCs cost between $1,500 for a basic model to $3,000 for a full model. It was clunky and it was not portable. We used to have a 40-hour work week. And since the economic boom of the 80s, companies continued to increase the workload and expectations of longer hours each day. So increasingly, workers are being stretched and expected to complete work within an eight-hour workday. That really takes more like two days. So now we have people who are burned out because they take work home. I mean, a typical day for one of my clients looks like this. You know what? Getting up at five in the morning, going to the gym, taking a shower, 6.30, hopping on your laptop, get a jump start on the day, 7.30, get the kids off to school, 7.45, hop back on the computer, or you start your commute to work. I mean, do your work all day long, 6.30, you may leave work-ish, 6.30, ish come home, have dinner. By 7.30 or 8, you're back at work on your laptop trying to complete what you didn't get done during the day or get a jump start on tomorrow, and you don't go to bed till 11 or midnight. That schedule isn't sustainable, peeps. It's just not. Our health, both mental and physical, suffers. So what you're seeing now is a revolt against a very old and outdated norm that overworks people and doesn't account for the human factor. I mean, we all need to have a life. There's no such thing as work-life balance. That would indicate that things are balanced equally, never moving. And we all know life doesn't stand still, right? Nothing does. I mean, molecules and atoms are always moving. So I like to say that we are balancing work and life because that's more fluid and it accounts for anything that's unexpected. Okay, phew, that was a lot of information, but that was fun, right? And I hope that helped you have a better understanding of imposter syndrome, what it is and what it isn't. I also wanna hear from you on how you plan to stop allowing it to derail your success. Which of the four derailers do you have? And if you're not familiar with that concept, you'll be excited to learn that I am coming out with a brand new video and a workbook combo that will walk you through them. And I'm here to tell you, it'll tell you how to release their grip on your mindset. It's a game changer, I'm just saying. So stay tuned, that's gonna be coming out at the end of January. And I am so excited to share it with you. So go to barberchurchill.com, end of January and find it, okay? Anyway, if you are ready to partner with me and create the kind of year you have been dreaming about, then let's get after it, my friends. Don't wait any longer. Schedule a discovery call with me today. It's the first step to creating the career and life that you crave. No more waiting. Let's go. All right, that is a wrap. Keep those questions coming because I love hearing from you.